What's up, Sea Road? How are we doing today? Okay. I'll take it. I'll take it. I get it. A little bit of hesitancy because, you know, I, I, to be honest, I'm a little bit hesitant about delivering this message today. Because it's been one that's been keeping me awake at night. Because it's been one that's kind of convicting me along the way. Last week, we started a brand new series called Faith Foundations, following a blueprint for transformation. See, at the end of the day, if we are claiming that we're following Jesus, what does that look like and what does that mean? And this whole series is going to help us unpack that, give us a little bit of a microscopic insight into what that looks like. Somebody who follows Jesus has been told the story of Jesus, has heard the story of Jesus, and now participates in telling that story of Jesus, that life transformation that can happen on a daily basis. Somebody who follows Jesus does does the work of the Lord. Somebody who follows Jesus understands their being is rooted in who God has created them to be. And somebody who follows Jesus celebrates the things that Jesus is most passionate about. That's what we're digging into in this series. Started last week with the whole telling theme, the hearing theme, being immersed in that and learning. To, and today is all about doing. What does it mean to participate in doing the work that God has invited us into. Last week we talked about storytellers and I told you one of my favorite storytellers happens to be my friend Ivan that goes to our church. Please don't hit him up asking him to tell you stories now. He is my favorite storyteller and I'm selfish. Just kidding. The second layer of storytellers though that we talked about that some of you are like, I don't know if I like that. Toddlers are amazing storytellers. If you've ever sat and listened to a toddler weave a tale, my goodness, you can find out all sorts of information about what goes on in their house. Couple years ago, I was happening, having the privilege of listening to our two youngest kids play, Paxton and Layla. They had figures set up, different characters, and they were weaving this meticulous interweb of story together. And then this one line stood out to me. Layla asked Paxton, hey, what are you doing today? Referring to the characters. And he picked up one of his figures and said, oh, I am just so busy today. And I was like, wow, isn't that insight into who we are sometimes as human beings? Sometimes when we talk about doing or participating in the activity, the work of what it means to follow Jesus, we can get confused that doing equals busy. We can get confused that success means doing more for Jesus. In fact, we can embrace this line that the band Mute Math incorporated into one of their hit songs. Why don't you just do a little more for Jesus? And if we're honest, sometimes some of us feel like we have to work out our salvation by doing more for Jesus. We have to do something so that he'll notice us, so that he'll recognize us, so that he'll redeem us and restore us and save us and help us in our troubled times. Sometimes we feel like if we do a little bit more good, it covers over the bad that we're doing in private. We get confused about doing, and so what we're going to do is kind of enter into this delicate conversation about what it means to invest our time. And that's the part that bothers me the most on a personal level. There are a couple of treasures that I have. One of them is my time. One of them is my time. And maybe you can identify with that. When somebody's like, hey, can we go hang out for three hours? I'm like, ooh, I don't know. Three hours? 
I got 30 minutes. Right? How many of you have ever let a friend or spouse know or even family member know, hey, I'm going into this meeting, call me with an emergency 45 minutes from now. Come on. Time. We protect it. We want to get paid for our time. Some of us have just recently switched jobs because they're going to pay us more per hour. We measure a lot of what we do in our world based on the unit of time. Because time is precious. And time in our human experience doesn't last forever. We're not guaranteed tomorrow or next week or next year. And so time is this finite resource. I always got the picture of an hourglass, the sand running out of the top into the bottom. And I'm like, time, it seems to be fleeting. You talk to a parent that just dropped off their first or last kid at university, and they'll talk to you about time seems to be slipping away. You talk about a parent who dropped off their oldest at GAK for the first time, and they're like, where has the time gone? And I just follow up, and I'm like, this is called freedom. Once you drop your kids off, it's freedom right here. Don't waste this time. Time is one of those things we get preoccupied by, we crave, we try to protect, and at times we try to multiply it, and that's where it gets hard. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about time. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be real. I'm going to share some stories about what I am learning about time and what we can discover together about time. If you've got a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of John, chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible and you've got your YouVersion Bible app on your mobile device, you can follow along on the Sea Road Live event, and it's got the scripture text right there. We're going to start in verse 22. I'm going to read to the, the end of the chapter, which is verse 30, and then we're going to kind of unpack this together. Keep in mind, we are parachuting into the middle of a conversation that Jesus is having with some of his closest friends. So it's going to take a little bit of us to get oriented and understand what's happening in the moment. Verse 22, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the whole world at large? And Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with the gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I am going away, but I will come back to you. If you really loved me, you would be happy that I'm going to the Father who is greater than I am. I have told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me. But I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let us be going. 
as I said, we're parachuting into this middle of this conversation that he's having with a group of his closest friends. So let's understand a little bit of the contextual situation we find ourselves in. Jesus has talked about going away. If you've ever had somebody in your life talk to you about moving or shifting or changing the relational dynamic that you now share, you know that it comes with a whole bunch of trauma-related responses. Like, why can you do, why are you going away? Why are you leaving me? You know, we talk about abandonment. You know, we filter that through a personal lens, and that's exactly what's happening with some of these closest friends, these people going like, I'm confused. You're saying you're going away. What does that all mean? And Jesus reminds them of the things that they have been doing together, the things that they've been doing together, and the value of what it means to do the work of God. All sorts of different stuff. An interesting thing to note in verse 22, I love how the author distinguishes between which Judas is asking the question. See, Judas the Iscariot is known most famously as the one who betrayed Jesus. He wasn't with this group of people at the time. He was with the high priest negotiating and bartering a price for the life of Jesus to turn him over to the authorities so that he could be punished and ridiculed and eventually executed. Judas was another guy. It's like in the classroom. I don't know if you grew up in a classroom. I grew up in a classroom when I was more, there was more than one Jason in the classroom. And so my nickname, can't believe I'm going to say this. My nickname was Little Frizz. Because I'm little and awesome. That's why I think. Hey, Little Frizz. Now it's J Frizz. So if you want to, you know, I've graduated. It's J Frizz. Right, And if you're like, well, what's your nicknames for your kids? Just say their first letter and then Frizz. That's their nicknames. C Frizz, D Frizz. Like it's really, we're not creative, okay? That's who we are. But this is what happened in this cluster of, of group. It's important for us to understand that the Judas that was asking the question was a different Judas. There were two Judases in Jesus' closest circle of friends. So they distinguish one from the other. Jesus talks about this doing and almost this invitation and reminder and charge, to, so to speak, like to keep doing the things that he's invited us into. I want to talk about doing from four different lenses, using this part of text as our catalyst for this conversation. The first phase or element of doing is what I'll refer to as distracted doing. Distracted doing. Maybe you've seen this take place before. This is where there's a flurry of activity and it looks like stuff's getting done, but really it's all bells and whistles and a big show because at the end of the day, there's much more left to be done than what's actually being accomplished. My friend Jeff Wimmer, he's an HR professional and he said this line to me one time that just has stuck with me and, and I just, I think it's amazing. He says, you know, Jason, you could tell a lot about the kind of person and the kind of employee that you're dealing with by taking a look at their office space, their workspace. And I was like, Jeff, what does that mean? He's like, if I walk into somebody's space and I see something that's really cluttered, I know that I'm dealing with a distracted employee. Maybe you've walked into somebody's house and you're like, man, the clutter Yay, I'm going to be here for four hours, not 40 minutes. Distracted doing, we can all get caught up in this. Where we can say yes to a whole bunch of things, a whole bunch of commitments. We can 
have our calendar dictate to us when we need to wake up, when we need to sleep, when we need to start walking around because we've got to get our steps in for the day. Whatever it is, it can start dictating to us so we can become distracted by all this activity and lose sight of what's actually most important. See, if you read through the book of John previous to this text, you're going to see different moments that Jesus is showing his disciples, his closest friends, what really, truly matters. John chapter 13, there's this incredible story of Jesus doing a servant's work. They're having a meal together and everybody has dirty feet because they had open-toed sandals. And they'd walk around everywhere on dirt roads and dirt floors and you'd get mud and all sorts of stuff caked up on your feet and as they're sitting down at a meal traditionally what would happen is somebody from the house would wash your feet would get you ready to be served and and participate in the evening celebration over food and at this time Jesus noticed that nobody's done this yet for he and his disciples so he does the washing of the feet he does the servant's role See, sometimes in our distracted doing, we can think that something's a good opportunity. We can pursue it with reckless ambition and passion and hopefulness and desire. But meanwhile, it's actually distracting us from what matters the most. You might be thinking, Jason, what does matter the most? So let's look at the life of Jesus. If we're being transformed by Jesus on a daily basis, there are two things, two filters Two filters that matter the most to him. The way we love God. The way we pursue intimacy with our heavenly father. The triune nature of God. The Trinitarian overseer of all things. If we have a growing, deepening intimacy with him. That's one filter that helps us refine our doing. The other filter is loving people just like Jesus did. Willing to serve them and to do things that are outside of, at times, our comfort zone or outside of our scope of responsibilities or our natural giftedness or even our willingness because of love. Sometimes if we're honest, we get stuck in the distracted doing hamster wheel so much that we can no longer discern what is from God and what is actually helping people. We can sit with a cluster of parents that have their kids in everything, everything known to man. They're in dance, they're in um, some sort of musical expression, they're in a sport of their kind, they're involved in their varsity debate team or whatever it is and they've been exposed to all these various different things and activities and they all seem to look good but then that same child turns 25 and they turn their back on Jesus and they wonder as a parent where have I gone wrong perhaps we were distracted in our doing Baseline filter is, does our doing lead us closer in our walk with God, or does it lead us away? And when we're distracted, sometimes it's very challenging to know the difference. Second layer of doing that I want to get into is what's called focused doing. 
Now, this one seems nicer, right? You, you Maybe you have met this person where they always have a plan. They always know where they're going. They always have a checklist of items that they're paying attention to, knocking them off one by one. And you look at them and you're like, man, if I could pattern my life after that person, that could be awesome. But the same challenge could exist for that individual. One of Jesus' closest friends was a guy named Peter. Peter is this incredibly obtuse individual. He's outside of the box. He's, he's, he's willing to say what he thinks and not allow a filter to inform what he says before he says it. He does crazy things. At one point in time, he takes a sword, cuts off a guy's ear because he thinks he's being helpful and protecting Jesus from what is coming in terms of impending doom. And in that moment, Jesus stops him and says, yo, dude, put away the sword. You have no idea what's happening here. He picks up the severed ear, puts it back on the guy's head, and and restores it. Sometimes in our focused doing, we think that we've got an idea of what God has said to us, and we pursue it with reckless abandon, and nothing can distract us along the way. Meanwhile, it is a slight variation of what God actually said to us. This is why being in community is so important, because when we are focused Sometimes we can be focused on the wrong thing, like our career development. At the end of the day, does Jesus actually care what we end up doing with our lives in terms of a career? That's a question I ask myself. Does Jesus actually care what I'm doing or why I'm doing it? Why do I want to be a plumber? Why do I want to be a lecturer? Why do I want to have my own business? Why do I want to be a professional athlete? Why do I want to do this, that, and the other? When our mission is self-focused, we end up in the same place as the distracted doer. A place outside of where Jesus has invited us to be. And even though we've got a game plan and a roadmap and a strategy that allows us to continue to move forward, we are in no better place than the distracted doer. Sure, we're focused, we're aligned, everything goes under the umbrella of what we're pursuing, but at the end of the day, it's less than what Jesus has in mind for us. There are times where we need to be laser-focused, and those times are when we are spirit-focused failed and spirit led Jesus talks about that at the end of this section of John chapter 14 when he promises the advocate the ambassador the holy spirit is going to come and pour himself out the very presence of the creator of the universe alive and active and well for anybody that chooses to follow Jesus that's the presence that is an invitation to walk with you into every facet and every moment of your life And being spirit-led and spirit-filled means learning to allow that voice that's still small, quiet, compassionate, kind, and yes, at times, convicting voice to shape our doing. When was the last time that we looked at our schedule filled with all our activity, held it up and said, Holy Spirit, what is from you and what isn't? I mean, that's a courageous question to ask. It's a courageous question to ask. Because it might mean us stopping one of the things that we are focused on. Because we actually have to refocus our trajectory 
and our mission. And to be honest, the only way that we can discover if we are more self-centered in our mission is when we have a community of people around us. If we're going at it alone, it's way too easy, way too easy to be self-absorbed and self-consumed and think that we're making a big difference in God's kingdom and, and yet we find out that maybe we're participating in things that he just has, hasn't asked us to be a part of. They're good things, but they're not the great things that God has in mind for us. It's easy to point out the bad things, right? It's easy to point out the bad things. Should I steal money from my workplace? No. That's an easy one. That's a no-brainer. For some of us, it might be a little bit of a struggle. I don't know. The harder thing might be like, should I go out and cut my grass at the same time as my neighbor, knowing it might mean an extended conversation that bubbles up spontaneously? When's the last time that we've held up our focused doing and allowed Jesus and people that we respect and care about and who love us speak into that focus? When we were serving as a family in a church about a decade ago, I remember my wife telling me something that has stuck with me to this day. She says, Jason, I'm glad we're here, but I feel like if we don't get a handle on things, we're going to end up losing our family along the way. You need a friend, you need a teammate in your life that can smack you with one of those questions along the way. All the things that we were a part of were focused, strategic, intentional, but at the end of the day, were actually moving us away from the mission that God had called us to, to love and raise our kids, to know who he is and make him known to the world around him. That's why it's so important for us to be connected with people of all ages, all stages of life, who ask us great questions and help us refine our focused, our focused, air quotes, doing along the way. There's a third kind of layer of doing that I want to talk about. It's called neglectful doing. Neglectful doing. This is what I call the uh, basement syndrome. What happens is we kind of just think that God is going to just take care of any, everything for us. And, and we just are, are sitting back and waiting for him to move in various ways. And, and while part of that is true, God does things that we don't even think about. Like he keeps the earth moving. If the earth stopped spinning, we'd be in trouble. He keeps the seasons moving, the seasons going, right? We're entering into the fall season where the leaves are going to tumble and change color and all that kind of good stuff. And then we're going to head into a winter season. And then after winter, spring's coming and there'll be new life and new birth. God takes care of all of that. God takes care of the cardinals and the blue jays and all the crazy birds that we have here in eastern Ontario he makes sure that they have what they need in terms of food. Even when we forget to fill our bird feeders, God provides for them. He does all of these things for us, and that much is true. But there are times where we're invited to participate in what God is doing. But instead of participating, we sit back and we wait for something miraculous to happen. 
That's how you end up being 40 years old and still living in your parents' basement. When you sit back and just wait for life to happen, we can end up in this neglectful doing thing where, ah, somebody else is going to do it. In the Frizzell household, it's laundry. Somebody else will do it. Our kids are so good at strategically avoiding piles of laundry. It's like amazing. They must be in gymnastics or something. It's folded. It's presented. needs to be put away, and yet it'll sit there for a couple of days. Somebody will get to it. And so it can happen in God's kingdom. We can see what needs to be done, but instead of going like, nah, I could participate in that, we think like, ah, somebody else will do it. That's why we pay Jason. That's why we do this. Somebody else will take care of it. What if God is calling you to take care of it? What if God is inviting you to participate in that doing with him? It's important to understand our natural wiring. If we're naturally of the, of the mindset that somebody else will get it done, this is why we need community. Because there are times where that someone else is us. Because somebody's been praying a prayer of, of, of desperation, asking for somebody to, to help them in their time of need, and, and you've got margin in your world, and maybe you're that answer. And maybe God has even said to you, hey, we could do this with each other. But instead of that, you're like, I don't know. I think somebody else is better gifted or better suited. Since when does God care about the quality of the gift? God cares about the quality of the individual. He's the giver of good gifts. And maybe you're like, I, I don't have much. And whatever you have, you take that and you put that in the hands of somebody that can do something with it. He can multiply it. And he can make it magnificent. If an entire massive oak tree can grow from a small acorn, there are sure amazing things that can grow from your life, even if you don't think there's value in it. Who you are is not by accident. What you've gone through is not unknown to Jesus. All of those things and all of those spaces and all of those fears and all of those pains and all of those worries and all of those anxieties, everything, when we place it in the hands of Jesus, when we place it in the hands of Jesus, he can do something with it. And he will if we let him. So we've got this distracted doing, this focused doing, this neglectful doing. Man, this seems depressing. Where else are we going? I want to talk to you about kingdom doing. Kingdom doing. When we talk about kingdom doing, I'm not referring to building our own reputation, our own status, our own brand. All of that is irrelevant when it comes to Jesus. I'm talking about participating with Jesus along the way to maximize whatever variation and expression of life he's invited us into. Some of us, as we age, we're like, man, I don't have the stamina that I once had. You still have a role to play in God's kingdom. It might look different than it did 30 years ago, but you still have a role. 
You still have an opportunity. That's why we need to be so familiar with the voice of Jesus, the voice of the Holy Spirit, that we understand what it means to participate in kingdom doing. Kingdom doing, a kingdom concept, is understanding that our life is kind of split up into three parts. We've got time, we've got talent, we've got treasure. Treasure refers to the stuff that we have. Talent refers to our skills, our abilities, whatever our experiences that we have. And, and, and time, well, that's the easy one. Let's have a little bit of fun. Help me out with some math here today. How many hours are in a day? Some of you are a little reluctant. You're like, I think 24? It's actually slightly more than 24. That's why every four years we have 366 days instead of 365. But for, for our conversation in this moment, 24 hours in a day. Perfect. Well done. How many days in a week? Seven days. Sometimes we want 10. Sometimes we want five, depending if we want to get the kids back into school right away or extend vacation. Okay, when you got... Uh, this is another skill testing question. What's 7 times 24 in terms of hours in a week? 168. Wow. How many of you pulled out a calculator? 168. Here's a kingdom principle. When, when God asks us for an investment, he asks for the starting framework of a tithe. A tithe is a reference to a portion of what we have in terms of our treasure, our talent, and our time. That starting point, that reference point refers to 10%. That's a starting point. That's like when the, you're, you're lining up for a race and the race marshal pulls the trigger and the gun goes, that's where you start it. You start at 10. That's the expectation. The 10% of whatever he's given to us in terms of treasure, in terms of talent, in terms of time that we would turn over and invest in him. That's a starting point. There are times and seasons in our lives where he might ask for more and we're willing to give more and we're able to give more. My parents are both retired and so I bug them all the time. I call them at 9.30 their time and I say, are you awake yet? I know you're retired. Now they're awake long before then but my parents now have for the first time in their lives, both of them, an abundance of time. So they invest it in a whole bunch of different ways. Caring for my two nieces, working with their local church, hanging out with their neighbors, providing child care for this neighbor couple on their block once a month because they've got nobody else on their schedule. They do all these creative things with their time. Time is one of the things that they seemingly have more in abundance than I do, yet they still have only 24 hours in a day, just like me. Regardless of our age or stage in life, the time we've been given is the exact same. It's how we're investing it that can make the difference. And a kingdom-doing principle is setting aside 10% of our time and giving it to Jesus. 10% of 168 is what? 16.8. You divide that by 7, you get 2.4 in terms of hours per day, which equates to 2 hours and 24 minutes. 
rounding up because if, you know, kingdom principle, we want Jesus to round up when he blesses us, right? Not round down. Two hours, 24 minutes daily. That is an intimidating number. Because if you're asking me to set aside two hours and 24 minutes each day, I'm looking at you going like, I ain't got it. Yes, you do. Yes, I do. The problem is I filled it up with a whole bunch of other stuff that actually doesn't matter. Do I really need to watch all of the shows I'm hoping to on the same night? Can I spread them out a little bit? Okay, I've got a 45-minute commute to work. Maybe I can use that 45 minutes to commune with God and pray for people on my prayer list and use it strategically. The two hours and 24 minutes doesn't mean we can't double up time. Maybe we can. Maybe it means joining a group one night a week or serving in your community or helping your neighbor or listening to somebody that needs to be heard in the moment, whatever it is. When you start looking at the the ways and the possibilities that we can discover and find two hours and 24 minutes, it's actually quite incredible. There's a lot of, of wiggle room there. There's a lot of opportunity. But if we're honest, we still don't want to give up our time. I know I don't. Somebody asked me, hey, you're going to coach your son's hockey this year? No! I can't think of anything worse. <laughs> but then you're on the ice at tryouts, and you're seeing that they're desperate for people, and you're still there, and you're still waiting for them during the game or during the ice time, and you're going like, man, maybe I have to. And that's the delicate balance, because we don't want to get into a have-to mindset. I have to do it, right? You don't want to come home to your grandkids, and they, they walk in the door, and they come, and they give you a hug, and you're like, oh, thank you for the hug, and they say, mom and dad made me, they said I had to. <laughs> right? Like, you don't want that kind of relationship. Neither does Jesus. Neither does Jesus. That's why he isn't... You know, sitting there with, with a bull whip going like, boom, hey, look, it's my time. My time now. No, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to invest your time however you want to. What he's saying is like if you invest it through a kingdom lens and a kingdom mindset, you're actually going to find that you have more margin than you ever thought was possible. This isn't about health, wealth, and prosperity. This is about a kingdom principle of life. When you invest in God's kingdom, he does more, immeasurably more, with what you provide than you ever thought could be possible. I say this all the time to people that struggle with finances. I'm like, are you tithing? Are you setting aside a portion of your income for, for God's kingdom? A lot of times the answer is no, we can't afford to do that. Start with something. The months where I have refrained from tithing on a personal level are the months where I am strapped for dollars. And the months where I've participated with what Jesus wanted to do and I've been obedient to what he's invited us into for tithing are the months that we do okay. We don't give so that we get something. We give because Jesus first gave to us. It's an expression of worship, and the same thing goes with our time. 
when we invest it and when we give it back to Jesus and say, okay, this is the 224 principle, Lord. I don't know how it's going to work, but I'm going to try to move forward on this. And maybe you can't do it all in one time, in one fell swoop. Maybe that's impossible for you to find two hours and 24 minutes per day right now. Start somewhere. Maybe it starts with 12 minutes. Maybe it starts with 32 minutes. I'm not asking you to keep a log or a journal and being like, oh my goodness, I spent 27 minutes having a conversation with Jason. Done. Ooh, he had a long sermon, 43 minutes. That's times two. It was on a Sunday. So I'm not asking you to do that. What I am asking you to do, what I am asking me to do, are we kingdom doers? Are we kingdom doers? When God stitches a community together, he gives that community everything it needs to do what he's asking them to do. When we look around and we're like, oh, we got a lack of resources. No, we don't. We got a lack of volunteers. No, we don't. Jesus put us together for a reason. What we have is a lack of kingdom doing. A lack of recognizing that God is the one that is dictating and inviting us into an expression and investment of our time. If there is a prayer that I have for myself and for you all today, it is to be immersed in this kingdom-doing mindset. I don't want us to be distracted by a flurry of activity. I don't want us to be focused on things that Jesus doesn't care about. I don't want us waiting around for something miraculous to happen and not participating in what God wants us to do. I want us, I want me, to be known for walking alongside of Jesus to the best of our ability. Knowing that he's doing all the heavy lifting and it's our role to show up. To show up and be a part of what he's doing. That's our role. So where do we go from here? 224. I'm going to dare you, I'm going to challenge you to find that margin in that space. Here today, we've got uh, the Sea Road on-ramp happening. On-ramp is just an expression of different spaces internally where you can get involved. And maybe that's a place to start. And there's going to be some of this stuff where you're like, this is a great idea, but I cannot participate in it. Like some of you are like, I'm not available. You to quit split shift to start doing something. I'm saying work with the margin that you have. The Outpost Cafe, we're looking for volunteers that have flexibility during the day, Monday through Friday or Saturday. Why? So that you can participate with Jesus in loving people in a real-time way. The conversations that we have in that space with people who are far away from Jesus is so soul-nourishing and exciting and challenging at the same time. For others of us, man, we've got margin and we enjoy hospitality, but maybe we're like, our, our space that we have is too small and we can't have a lot of people over at our home. We're looking for people to help us form visitation teams that can go and visit people that aren't able to physically be present with us in any way, shape, or form. Maybe they're a shut-in of some kind. Maybe you've got mobility challenges. 
Maybe they just don't know how they can get from where they are to where we are. There's lots of different opportunities. There's tech stuff. There's working with youth and teenagers. And there's working on Sunday mornings. Parents, if you're like, man, what do I do now with my grade 6 kid? Because they're stuck in the adult service. Start them serving somewhere. They've got talents. They've got gifts. They've got time. They can help invest in the next generation that is walking behind them in some way, shape, or form. They can do it. Better yet, you can do it with them. And then you have a shared experience. My goal here today is not to create movement for the name of Jesus outside of what Jesus is inviting you into. I don't want to coerce you into anything. I don't want to manipulate you into anything. What I'm saying is that I think Jesus is asking us to embrace that 224 mindset. And if we're waiting for a time, the time is now. We're not guaranteed tomorrow, but we can start with today. And we can use what we've been given to do the work that God invites us to do. Loving him and loving people. Strategically, intentionally, passionately, purposefully. We're going to go to a time of prayer, and so I'm going to invite you to pray along with me. We're going to do something during this prayer time that uh, I hope will be helpful. If you have whatever represents your expression of time with you here today, your day timer, for me it's the calendar on my phone. I want to invite you to put that into your hands as we pray. And instead of holding on to it tightly, I want you to put it into your hands open-handedly like this. With my phone and my hands, because my calendar on my phone represents my time. And not, it isn't my time, but it represents it. That's where I put all my appointments and meetings and places where I need to be and things I need to do, my to-do lists, into my phone. Now, if you don't have your physical day timer here because you left it at home, good for you. You can still visualize it into your hands like this. And what we're going to do is we're going to just invite Jesus to reshape and reorient our doing in this next season. We want to be known as kingdom doers, not distracted doers, not focused doers, not neglectful doers, kingdom doers. Advocates, participants, and what Jesus is inviting us into. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Father, I confess that there are times where I have eliminated you from my schedule and my calendar because I thought it was the right thing. I thought it was more important for it to be full or more important to be empty than to be satiated with the things of you. And God, I recognize that that is probably a feeling that some of us have experienced in this space or even online. We haven't yet known what to do fully with the schedule that you've given us, with the time that we've been gifted. And so, Lord, over these next few moments and months and years ahead, 
Would you reshape and recalibrate us? Would you allow us to be known more as kingdom doers and not self-absorbed, self-focused, neglectful or distracted doers? We humbly approach you in your presence, inviting you to reorient what needs to be there. I pray that the stuff that has cluttered things up that just doesn't need to be there anymore, that you'd give us a different perspective and a different mindset and a different ability to say no. I pray for the things that are absent in our calendar that you so desperately would hope and pray and imagine and dream for us to be on there. I pray that we would be willing to fill them up with those things that are from you. I think, Jesus, the hardest part is that it's going to cost us something, one thing or the other. But you paid the greatest cost that anybody has ever had to pay for the freedom and luxury to even consider how we can invest our time. And without you giving your life for me and for us, there is no hope for tomorrow, let alone today. And it's because of you, Jesus, that we offer, we offer what's in our hands and we say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in your name, Jesus.